Welcome to Wellness for Entrepreneurs, where we have meaningful conversations with founders. This podcast is about exploring, educating, and empowering entrepreneurs on maintaining wellness in their entrepreneurial journey. My name is Matebe Jobo, and I am an entrepreneurship investor, scholar, and evangelist. I am your host. When we think of the greatest entrepreneurs, there is one thread that ties them all together, their ability to create new markets and create change. But how exactly do they stay motivated? How can you keep yourself going when the going gets really, really tough? This is Wellness for Entrepreneurs podcast. In this episode, we talk to renowned change agent and social activist, Zukiswa Mkolomba. Now, for as long as I've known Zukiswa, she was always establishing and leading a movement that brings about change. Zukiswa holds a double master's in social sciences and poverty development. She has been the director of many departments in government concerned with social and economic change. Zukiswa has worked for the World Bank and African Development Bank. She is also an entrepreneur. Zukiswa is currently pursuing her PhD at the University of Witwatersrand. Zuki, welcome to the Wellness for Entrepreneurs podcast. We are truly honored to have you here. Thank you for having me. It truly is an honor to be a part of such conversations. Thank you so much. Now, I was not kidding earlier when I said that for as long as I've known you, you've been occupied with creating lasting economic and social change. I would like this episode to really benefit two types of listeners, entrepreneurs involved in creating completely new markets and entrepreneurs involved in social change. Your story can really help encourage these entrepreneurs and really encourage them on how to stay motivated when things aren't happening um, as they should or as fast as they thought they would. Let us start with you know, your story and just your journey. Please take us through your journey of how you found yourself as a change agent in various positions and what was that one thing that led you to ultimately venture down this path? Okay, so basically um, I was raised by single parents. Um, I was raised by my mom and my grandmom and uh, my story basically dates from being raised in a small town called King Williamstown and being a believer that great things can happen for those who aspire for great things. So obviously there was the academic journey, which you've already, already mentioned to your listeners. But I think for me, my passion for the poor has been the main driving force behind the things that I do. In particular, the things that I do, not only in the marketplace, but also the things that I do in terms of my my official my official career in government you know when we look at you we look at well what i think of is really a change agent and somebody just creating uh, a reality that really doesn't exist um, at the moment how would you describe the mindset of a change agent and somebody who really pushes the boundaries being a change agent means putting people at the center of your process of solutions finding and solution seeking People have to be at the center stage of all that you do. And people have to be at the center stage of that that motivates you. I like that concept of people being at the center stage of what you do. 
because that really informs your vision and your mission. And I know it can be a little bit intimidating to think that you as one person could bring about change at such a large scale. What are some of the things that made you believe that you as Zuki, having grown up with that single parent, you could actually create change and bring about meaningful economic outcomes? So to be honest, my faith plays a very big role. I'm a Christian, I'm a born again Christian, and my faith has played a very big role in motivating me in the direction that I've taken currently. I'm a believer in God and that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And because of that, he has motivated me to go in particular directions. So that's basically been the main motivation, really, in terms of explaining um, how and why I've decided to venture into the kind of places and positions that I've actually taken up, both in government and also in the marketplace. Yeah, that's really incredible because things like faith, um, belief, you know, self-awareness and all of these practices, spirituality, mm. you know, are what mm. centers a lot of people. How important is it then to start crafting that into a clearer vision and mission as to, you know, what you really want to achieve from a, from a change perspective? And maybe, and maybe you can just take us on a journey and give us like a practical situation as to, you know, drawing from your faith, the type of um, solutions or even problems that you identified needed to to be solved. So, um, so when I was uh, an assistant director at the Department of Labor, towards the end of my career there, I drafted a mission and vision statement that has guided me um, into the direction and in the path that I've taken currently. And in that mission statement and vision statement, I actually said that I wanted to make sure that. I use my abilities, my talents and gifts in ways that address issues of poor people. So I'm very passionate about issues of, of, of poverty. And I, believe, I don't believe that we should be living in a society that doesn't address these issues. So we need to live in a society that actually addresses the material needs of those who are vulnerable in society. And uh, since then, that's how I've been able to basically function and venture into the various fields in which I've ventured into. So mm -hmm. my mission statement was very clear about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And I know that research work and thought leadership has played a fundamental component in my scholastic activism, in particular when it comes to issues of people, of the, of, of, of people who are poor. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so, so I think it's important to actually craft down your vision statement and your mission statement as, as, a, as, a, as a starting point. Yeah. And uh, after you've drafted it, at least you will get a clearer idea as to what you want to do. And most importantly, how you will go about doing it, having identified what your gifts and talents are and the God-given gifts that have been given unto us. I love that. I think, you know, the, the mission and the, the vision that you wrote um, clearly ties, down, ties back to your talents um, that you would have identified in your own self. And I think... A lot of times um, as entrepreneurs, that's where we start. Um, we start identifying a lot of um, things or talents that we could use to benefit the world or even benefit the mission that we set out to do. So that's really incredible. But the truth of the matter is sometimes... And also the, the yes. most important thing is also at now when it comes to entrepreneurship is how you can use your talents in ways that you can monetize, monetize them as well. Correct, correct. That's it. Yes, absolutely. Monetization is ultimately the outcome of, of entrepreneurship. 
even social entrepreneurs. So even for entrepreneurs that are involved in social missions or are being active agents of change. And that's really leading me to my next question to say, you know, sometimes change is not a linear process. And sometimes, you know, the results uh, are delayed and the financial outcomes are not necessarily there. What should entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs working with social issues do to keep themselves motivated and confident? So I really believe that you need to be a reader if you want to be a leader. And mm. uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a reader. So read as much as, much, especially autobiographies of the people that you respect and the people who are working in the fields in which you want to represent and want to be involved in. So I, I'm a believer in reading and that's how it's given me the ability to lead successfully in the various ventures that I've partaken in. And uh, I, my, my, my most important person that I've, I've read about uh, was basically Uthat Nelson Mandela, whose journey through his life has motivated me to get into the kind of ventures that I've currently been involved in. Yeah, that's incredible. I like that uh, what you have to be a reader in order to be a leader. A leader, yes. Yeah, that's a quotable quote. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I want to pick up on the, you know, the aspect that we nearly just touched on uh, just now, which is how do we... How do entrepreneurs who are dedicated to social change manage the trade-off between financial success and social outcomes? Um, you know, just knowing, of course, that the journey is quite long and convoluted, and sometimes it's it feels like a zigzag. So I, I don't think that there is a necessarily a trade-off between financial rewards and social rewards. So that the very fact that you can monetize an issue that you are trying to find a solution to and are trying to problem, problem solve for means that it's actually possible to achieve both. So it's, not, it's an issue of not seeing it as an either or, but uh, the, looking, looking at the possibilities of achieving both um, simultaneously, monetizing the rewards of your social efforts. So basically there's, a, there's, a, there's an interlink and a, a direct relationship between financial rewards and social change or social efforts. So it doesn't have to be an either-or situation, but you have to look at it from a perspective that says you can actually do both and do both successfully. It's just that sometimes it takes time. And that, as you said before, rightfully, the delays are that there are some delays that you will encounter, but it's not an either-or. There's definitely money to be made in finding solutions to the challenges that people are facing in society. Well, that's quite interesting. That's actually, you know, two things there. Um, that solving social issues doesn't necessarily mean that you are foregoing the financial impact, which is really, really important um, and should actually be motivation enough for a lot of entrepreneurs to start thinking about uh, solutions to societal problems. So I think that's really great. Um, and then just um, navigating the journey of um, keeping yourself motivated, even though this doesn't quite work out the way you, you thought it would. That's, that's really, really important. And I think emotional capital is just um, as important as financial capital for entrepreneurs. As well as social capital. As well as social capital. Um, mm. And so if we talk about, you know, self-awareness, self-esteem, integrity, you know, these are quite uh, important characteristics for entrepreneurs. I suppose entrepreneurs on their own, um, you know, journey of, of change. So 
I mean, for you, in what situations have you seen these types of, um, you know, this emotional capital really being a, a, a good pillar of, of strength for you to lean on? So I, I, I'm a strong believer. So as I said before, for me, my, I derive emotional capital from a spirituality. I am a born-again Christian, and that drives and, and it reinforces, enforces and reinforces what I do in my life and the, and the motivations that go, that go with it and why I do the things that I do. Um, so I've had to d- d- depend on emotional capital to make sure that I'm successful in the things that I actually do. Yeah. You wonder, I think we, we might have discussed this before in the past that um, currently I struggle with mental health issues that, are, that are, have, have, have somehow nearly hindered my progress in my, in my life's journey. But because of emotional capital that I draw strength from in terms of my spirituality, I've been able to overcome certain types of mental illnesses and uh, I've been able to be successful in the journey that I've actually gone on to. So oh, emotional capital is, is quite critical, in particular health on, health on issues of health and health yeah. matters. If you don't take care of your health, mental health, you're not, not going to be able to be successful in the journey that you would have chosen to venture into. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, that's an incredible story. And thanks for sharing that, uh, Suki. It's, it's really uh, incredible. And I do think that a lot of our listeners will really benefit from that. Um, that it's not dealing with almost uh, mental health is not just uh, from a professional perspective, but it is also, you know, leaning into the spiritual and leaning into support um, that you get as well from from your community. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I just wanted to go back to a a point that I, I wanted to explore, you know, especially where we've got that delayed outcomes in terms of financial capital and and um, your social change, right? You know, sometimes monetizing social issues does lead to entrepreneurs almost going off and venturing in a path that seems like it's not necessarily connected to the social issue that they're solving. How do, how do, I mean, have you encountered that at all in your own life? And what advice would you give to entrepreneurs to stick to their mission um, even though they're exploring efforts to monetize? I don't necessarily see anything wrong with, with just having mon- the monetary objective as the key driver for your, for your efforts. But I do think that if your efforts result in social change, that that's a high up, there's, there's a higher level of, 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 of satisfaction that you will actually enjoy as a, as a person in, in, in the entrepreneurial space. So I do think that I don't necessarily see a problem with people who only have financial success as their primary motivation, but I do feel that if you have social change as, as, a, as an added on, as an add-on, um, that would basically will, 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 will give you full satisfaction, better mm-hmm. satisfaction than what you would achieve if only you were focusing financial aspects of the entrepreneurship ventures. Oh, great. So that's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? <laughs> when you're yeah. saying, um, you know, solving social issues as well as monetizing it is almost like a higher order type of um, outcome yeah. in a sense. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So sometimes for, uh, passion for a particular cause results in the entrepreneur or the change agent being closed off to new ideas. So how do entrepreneurs and change agents maintain openness to new ideas that could, that could improve their outcomes? 
So I think you have to, as an entrepreneur, surround yourself with like-minded individuals who will motivate you and remind you of, what, of why you do what you do. If, you, if you're not, so social capital plays an important role, not just uh, emotional capital or, or financial capital, but if you, have, if you surround yourself with the right people who have the right skill sets and the right experience and who will remind you of your motivations in, in your entrepreneurial ventures, then you're going to be in a better place, I believe, than if you, if you were basically running a solo market or a solo venture. Yeah, I, I so love social that. social capital plays an important role. Yeah. And, and so what are the practical ways that entrepreneurs can really tap into that, um, those social networks that they have um, and the resources to make sure that they create iterative um, solutions to the wicked problems that they, that they are solving, right? Because obviously um, bringing about social change is really about solving really complex uh, social problems as well. And so how do entrepreneurs uh, practically reach out to their networks and create a map of their networks and resources to help them solve these complex problems? So it's literally what you just said in your, in your line just now, that you have to map out the people who you can actually benefit from in terms of your, your immediate social networks, as well as people that you haven't necessarily tapped into that you could benefit from by expanding your social networks. So um, a stakeholder mapping exercise would be an important point and an important pillar for you to use to make sure that you're expanding stakeholder um, networks. That's awesome. And I think earlier you said something like, what is that quotable quote? In order to lead... You must read. You, you must read. read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's very important because the world, as the world changes, so does the nature of the problems that entrepreneurs or change agents are aiming to solve, right? So then continuous learning is one way of coping with this, which is really the, the whole idea that um, to lead, you must read, you know, how do you keep updating your own knowledge? Um, I know you've got double masters, you're doing a PhD, but beyond that, what would you recommend um, for entrepreneurs to really um, update their knowledge? So I would, as I said earlier on in my, in my opening um, line, I think it's important to look at the autobiographies of the people that you respect the most and who've already ventured into the spaces that you want to venture into. So if you read the, the success stories of the people that you respect, then you'd also be motivated to, to continue on your journey because people have in the past done it before. But I also like what you mentioned earlier around uh, reading Utata Nelson Mandela's autobiography because one would actually think, yo, this book has been around for so long. What possible new knowledge could it have? You know, so I think it's also about being able to see things in a fresh perspective, you know, even if it's things that have been there for quite a while and really re looking at it with a fresh pair of uh, lenses, you know, in a sense. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, you've worked on a couple of issues um, and I just want to maybe understand a couple that, you know, a journey on one issue that you worked on and really how you went about finding a solution for that issue, um, the challenges, and, and really, uh, in general, how you then continued to, to work on that issue. One of my passions, the issue of God empowerment, making mm -hmm. sure that we take the God child along with us on our success journeys. So the issue of mentorship and coaching 
is an important part of my life and what I do. And it, it inspires me, not just inspires the people that I mentor and coach, but it also inspires me to continue to do the work that I'm currently doing in society. So I, I do have a couple of mentors, men, mentees. So, so I'm a mentor and I have a couple of mentees who that I mentor and coach in their careers. And uh, that basically just drives me and gives me an, an added level of fulfillment and satisfaction in doing the work that I'm currently doing. Some of the challenges is that obviously some of the people that I mentor come from very broken backgrounds and uh, people don't have easy stories. That I kind of feel like my story hasn't been as difficult as the stories of the people that I've mentored. So having to navigate through those real and fundamental questions of existence and um, basically explaining to them why some people are poor vis-a-vis other people and why black people are suffering more than, more than their white counterparts. Those are the difficult discussions we've had to have just in order for, to make sure that we understand where we're coming from in order for us to know where we're going um, moving forward. So those, those have been some of the challenges that I've experienced in my mentorship and coaching relationships. But I, I think I've been successful because my mentor, my mentees have been successful. Um, and that basically has given me a drive to basically continue to continue mentoring younger women, in particular those who want to get into um, university. Yeah, so this is where it all comes together for me, you know, the stuff that we spoke about. Because, you know, you start off mentoring, let's say, um, for a career, but you end up having a conversation around poverty or you end up having a conversation around racial justice. So this just shows how complex the nature of social problems are and that you almost have to dig deep inside of yourself to continue to have these conversations and to continue to explore, you know, and that's where the whole concept of openness comes in, you know, the whole concept of um, even managing your own emotional uh, resilience because you're in this job, you're doing it, you're mentoring uh, young girls, but at the same time, you have to go back home and almost deal with um, a lot of the issues that have been offloaded um, on you. So I think, again, um, just encouraging a lot of our entrepreneurs who are either in social change um, spaces um, is, is very important uh, in this regard. And yeah, and I think that's, that's incredible in terms of the, the work you've done. Um, and I think um, even in the work that you do in your professional life um, still is uh, that type of work, you know, and um, you now we're taking it into the corporate space where it, it no, it's not really about being it's not as personal, you know, as it is in when you do it on your own or, or in your own startup. What have been what has been your own um, experience in terms of affecting social change? in a larger organization such as corporate or even government? So I know in co corporate South Africa is rather delicate. Um, it's a very vulnerable space for most social entrepreneurs and uh, in particular people who want to be social agents of change in their own societies. Um, so I used to work for corporate once upon a time in my life so I can relate to the challenges that black females um, actually experience let alone just entrepreneurs, but black female social entrepreneurs that they experience in those spaces. And it's difficult because you're often you're a, you're a minority when it comes to your identity in those spaces. You're not a, even though you're a social majority, you're actually a cultural minority in those spaces. 
Yeah, so that, that brings in a different angle as well of being a, minor, a minority while affecting change. So <laughs> that's like a double whammy uh, in a sense, you know. So that's, that's really incredible. I think, Zuki, um, what are your last words? I mean, when, we come, when it comes to the issue of creating social change, being a change agent, whether you're doing it as an entrepreneur, whether you're doing it in the corporate environment, whether you're doing it in the government, and whether you're doing it um, in your own personal capacity. So don't give up. Um, people have agency. As people, we have agency. And if, pe- and if people like Kito Mandela in the past could effect social change just by applying themselves, their talents, their gifts, their thinking capabilities, then what's stopping us from effecting the same social change in our own societies? Yeah, exactly. What would stop us? <laughs> yeah, I love the concept of human agency because without that, um, we are basically, the, the battle is, is lost. You know, so I love, love, love just pointing to our uh, ability to act and our ability to effect change uh, when we put our minds to it. Zuki, it's been an absolute honor speaking to you. I do think that the work you do is incredible um, and that in general, you're an incredible leader. So thank you so much for being part of this um, podcast. (laughs) Thank you very much for having had me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Wellness for Entrepreneurs podcast, a space for meaningful conversations with founders. Please click on the link below to subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Goodbye.